Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Ohio's new distracted driving law is now in effect. Police can pull you over if you're texting while driving. They no longer need another reason to stop you. In a moment, we'll bring you portions of a news conference held this week by Governor Mike DeWine. In about 10 minutes, Kate Burdett talks with Matt McLaren from Ohio Find It Here about Ohio's hiking trails, as well as places to ride horses, kayak, and birdwatch. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend talks with Governor Mike DeWine about rail safety. She'll have a segment about colorectal cancer and also about an effort to end the death penalty in Ohio. And I'll wrap up the hour with financial tips from an Edward Jones agent in Northeast Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective, Governor Mike DeWine held a news conference earlier this week to say that distracted driving is now a primary offense in Ohio. This segment is about 10 minutes with Governor Mike DeWine and also with a woman from Western Ohio who lost her husband in a distracted driving accident. She's now made it her mission to educate people about the dangers of distracted driving. This entire segment lasts about 10 minutes. Here's Governor Mike DeWine. Now, illegal, with just a few exceptions, for any Ohio driver to use or hold an electronic wireless device like a cell phone while at the same time driving. On top of that, distracted driving will now be considered a primary offense. Local law enforcement officers, as well as the Ohio State Highway Patrol, who witness anyone manipulating their cell phone while driving can immediately initiate a traffic stop before that driver can cause a crash. Just as this law is finally enacted, uh, we do face now additional challenges. And it's important that we ensure that drivers across the state of Ohio understand the law. Uh, And so we're really now, for the next six months, in the education stage of this. Uh, The first six months that this law is in effect will be considered a grace period where law enforcement will be able to stop distracted drivers and issue warnings and educate drivers about the new law. Uh, Second, we are launching a statewide public awareness campaign to help with this effort. Uh, Soon after I signed the bill, I directed my communications team to begin working with the teams of the Ohio Department of Public Safety, the Ohio State Highway Patrol, the Ohio Department of Transportation. And for all of them, they began to work on a campaign to remind drivers about the change in the law, which you'll soon see about everywhere online, Uh, on TV, on billboards, on the radio. Um, This campaign will be out there uh, everywhere. To put it simply, lock your phone, put it down, put it in the console, put it in the glove compartment. Just get it out of your hands so that your hands are on the wheel and your eyes are on the road. So pretty, pretty simple message. Uh, We've also launched a new website. Uh, with materials and resources for all drivers, and that's at phonesdown.ohio.gov. That's at phonesdown.ohio.gov. This has all the information uh, about the new law that anyone uh, needs, needs to know. This is where you get the details of what is exempt from the law and what the penalties are if you, in fact, get a ticket. Again, the next six months or grace period, uh, law enforcement will officially start enforcing the law and writing citations on October 4th, 2023. Uh, This law will clearly uh, save lives. There's absolutely no doubt about it. 
uh, it will spare many families uh, the grief and the sorrow uh, that, unfortunately, many of our families have suffered uh, in the last few years because of distracted driving. Let me now introduce uh, Leah Fullenkamp, whose husband, John, was tragically killed by a distracted driver while he was driving a tractor in Shelby County in 2018. The driver who rear-ended him admitted that she was not paying attention to the road. Instead, she was online shopping moments before the crash. This is exactly, uh, exactly the type of senseless tragedy that we want to avoid and we want to eliminate. So, Leah, thank you very, very much for being here. You can come up and share, share your story. Thank, thank you. you. Today, I'm here to tell you a story, but I'll be honest with you. There is absolutely nothing special about me. My story is similar to the 200 other people, other families in Ohio have lost a loved one by distracted driving. It was a beautiful day, Saturday afternoon in June, the day before Father's Day. I had major foot surgery the day before and couldn't walk. I was home with my four kids and my husband, John, was out farming. He was working between two fields that are about three-fourths of a mile apart. And he had to take a state route to get between the two fields. Shortly after pulling out of the driveway, John was hit from behind by an SUV. This driver was using her cell phone to shop online. The equipment broke off from the tractor. The tractor rolled. John was thrown off. CareFlight was called, but he passed away before they could take off. He had last words. He knew what was happening. Our lives were forever changed. In the matter of just 24 hours, I had temporarily lost my ability to walk and became a widow and single mother of my four kids. And they are three, six, nine, and eight months old. Things would absolutely never be the same. And when you picture the driver of the SUV, you're likely picturing a young driver maybe even a teenager, but that wasn't the case. The driver was in her mid-50s. Using a phone while you're driving is something that affects people of all ages, races, and backgrounds. Most of us here have a story of the time when we were driving down the road and there was a car swerving, and you eventually learned that they were on their phone. And just the same, most of us here can probably admit that while we're scrolling our phones, time seems to fly by. We spend hours on social media a day, and that's where the problem lies. Through the crash recreation, it was determined that the driver that killed John had 16 seconds to look up and see him. Now, that doesn't seem like much time. I mean, I've already been up here way longer than that. But when you're behind the wheel, it is an absolute eternity. I'm not sure about you, but I can't think of anything that I've ever done at any point on my phone that is worth hurting or killing myself or someone else over. Can you? In the nearly five years since John has been gone, we have come to befriend a fly. On the hard days, the happy days, the monumental days, and the everyday, we have a special fly come to visit us. It'll land on our hands and stay for a while. My kids have even taken a fly on a bike ride. 
This fly has come to represent John for us and also serve as a symbol of strength. After the fly had appeared many times, I searched for what it could mean. The first meaning is that somebody wants to talk to you. And I bet John has a whole lot to say about our lives now, both good and bad. And the second meaning is that a fly can survive and sur thrive in some of the worst situations. And our situation was pretty bad. After the crash, I had two choices. I could either fade away to my life's new stresses, or I could take notes from the fly and learn to survive and hopefully thrive. I chose the latter. I created the organization in the blink of a fly to raise distracted driving awareness. And through this organization, I've talked to thousands of high school students. We've reached millions through Facebook and Instagram. And we have yard signs throughout and billboards throughout the state and even some scattered throughout the country. As you leave today, at the exits, I will have static cling flies available to you. I invite you to take one and place it inside your vehicle. This fly will hopefully serve as a reminder to you to keep your phone while driving, away while driving, and that you're only seconds away from putting you or somebody else in a horrible situation. Take the time to activate the do not disturb mode on your phone. Make a pack to keep your phone put away. Teach your kids or your grandkids how to type the address into your GPS, how to reply to the text. Speak out if you're writing with someone who's using your phone. Protect yourself from yourself. I am so excited that Ohio has taken a big step forward in the prevention of distracted driving. This is a huge accomplishment. And through these efforts, my hope is that my family's story does not become your family's story. Leah, thank you. Thank you so very much for sharing that, uh, that story, your tragic story with us. I know that you have made a huge difference, uh, and it's been your work and the work of others is why we're able to be here today. So thank you for doing that. Let me recognize someone else uh, who has also played a major role in this, and that is Dom Tiberi. Dom, let me see you. Um, Dom is the founder, of course, of the Maria Tiberi Foundation, uh, named in honor of his daughter, Maria. Uh, she was killed in a distracted driving crash now almost 10 years ago. Thank you for your dedication over the last 10 years, Dom. Uh, I've worked closely with Dom on this issue for the last few years. Uh, the work he's done to educate our youth on the importance of safe driving is just so very, very important. I was in a school actually just this last week uh, that had some of uh, Dom's uh, driving simulators. Uh, he has now placed in many, many schools and continues to do, do that work. So again, Dom, thank you very, very much for doing that. That's again Governor Mike DeWine from a news conference earlier this week announcing that the new distracted driving law is now in effect, although there's a six-month grace period before police will ticket you. Find out more at phonesdown.ohio.org, phonesdown.ohio.org. The other speaker, Leah Fullenkamp from Fort Laramie in Shelby County, Ohio, has a website in theblinkofafly.com. And also Dom Tiberi's foundation, is at mariatiberryfoundation.org.
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Here's Kate Burdett. Matt McLaren is the director of Tourism Ohio, our state's premier organization, shall we say, to help you find ways to enjoy this great state of ours. Hi, Matt. It's getting to be the busy season, isn't it? Hey, Kate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is an exciting time of year for Ohio. It's that spring-summer season where people want to get out and do things and see all Ohio has to offer. Yes, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, get out. Let's get outside, enjoy some nicer weather, and we have a lot of opportunities to do that here in Ohio. I have been hearing a lot about Ohio's trail system. I know that we have a wealth of opportunities for people to get out and hike in the great outdoors in Ohio. Can you tell me, Matt, a little bit about what makes Ohio such a great state for hikers? Oh, absolutely. The things to do to get out there and enjoy hiking are 75 free state parks, our Cuyahoga Valley National Park, all the incredible metro parks. There are actually more than 7,600 miles of trails across the state of Ohio for hiking, biking, and even water trails. That's incredible when you think about it, considering for most of Ohio, anything is accessible within about a three-hour drive. So to have the 7,600 miles of trails kind of boggles my mind, but that indicates there's a lot to see out there, isn't there? Yeah, a three-hour drive, or you can literally walk across the state on our hiking trails. might take you a little longer than three hours, but uh, with things like the Buckeye Trail, people do enjoy doing that. That's the 1,444-mile trail that circles the state of Ohio. That seems like a very lofty goal, but I'm sure that uh, <laughs> there are those who, who uh, would probably welcome that challenge. Um, so when going hiking in Ohio, what are some things that are particular to our state that are specific that we should look for when we're out and about? Tell me about some of the, the things you won't find in any other state. Yeah, one of the things I really enjoy and my family enjoys doing is seeking out the waterfalls, uh, especially in our state parks. And especially this time of year, one of those secrets is wait until it's been rainy for a few days and then it gets nice and go out and seek out some of our waterfalls. That's when they're at their their largest, the most water is coming across them and really what I think is the most beautiful. Uh, a few places that we like to hike uh, include Mohican State Park. Now, this is just north of Columbus and that whole Mansfield area. Uh, it has two great waterfalls, Big Lions Falls and Little Lions Falls. If you're in our national park up near Cleveland, you will find Brandywine Falls, which is one of the most incredible and largest falls in the state. And then another great one, uh, if you make your way over to the um, uh, Clifton Gorge area, which is near Yellow Springs, kind of on your way to Dayton, Ohio, uh, you will find the 25-foot Amphitheater Falls and just some beautiful views at Clifton Gorge Nature Preserve in Yellow Springs. Just when you think you've heard about all of the beautiful spots in Ohio, a new one pops up that you've never heard of and you need to go see it. I have myself experienced some of these amazing waterfalls, and it really is kind of breathtaking at times. And I wonder, I'm really in Ohio? That's fantastic. It's just a beautiful scene. So we so appreciate having access to to these parks, to these trails. And it's not just about walking. It's not just about walking on two legs, in fact. Um, there are opportunities to go out on horseback on some of these trails, aren't there? There are. But before we jump into that, I want to touch on something you said. When you say, I can't believe I'm in Ohio, we're actually changing that. More and more people are saying, I want the views that I find in Ohio. And one of the examples for that, the Hocking Hills State Park 
uh, often known as the crown jewel of the Ohio State Parks, has been ranked as one of the top state parks in the United States and actually just made Forbes' list of the top 50 places to travel to. Uh, now this is in the world, and to be on that Forbes list, uh, Hocking Hills is really setting that new benchmark for what beauty is uh, and it's something you can find right here in Ohio. So many people from outside of Ohio come here specifically to go to Hocking Hills. And for those who live here in the Buckeye State that have not yet made a visit, I recommend it's not bucket list. It should be top of the to do list. Go and check out Hocking Hills. So much to do outside in nature and for free for families. Go and check it out. Yep, go and check it out for free. Uh, and the hikes, they're very doable hikes, things like Ash Cave. It's mostly paved. It's only about a mile from the parking lot. Uh, other areas, Cedar Falls, Old Man's Cave, a little more challenging hikes, but still very doable and incredible views. Absolutely. So we were going to talk about horseback riding. Yeah, horseback riding. There are two options. There are those who have horses uh, like so many families that I know do um, in the, uh, many areas of the state. Uh, they can bring their horses in for bridal trails, uh, places like Caesar Creek State Park, Alum Creek State Park, and Salt Fork State Park all offer uh, those horse-friendly campgrounds and hiking, or excuse me, horse riding trails. Uh, but here's the one for me. I do not have horses. So for me, I would be looking up one of the uh, fun places that provides horses for you. Spotted Horse Ranch near Hocking Hills is one of those where it is a working ranch that offers trail riding on their Appaloosa horses and even their cowboy cookout ride. That sounds like a lot of fun and a very unique experience for a family or maybe even for a fun date if you're looking for that. There you go. A new way, a new way to find adventure. And, you know, depending on how well that date's going, you can either choose to ride horses for an hour or two or they have the full day ride, which is that cowboy cookout ride. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There have been a few dates that I think I might just want to leave out on the trail, but that's for another show. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Matt McLaren, the director of Tourism Ohio. It is getting to be spring season. It's coming. We promise. And after that, it'll be even nicer out and it'll be a great chance to get out into some of Ohio's waterways. There are a lot of opportunities to go out and get wet in Ohio. Let's talk about, Matt, the 17 different water trails in our state. Yeah, I really want to give credit to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. Uh, They've started creating these water trails, which are marked routes for recreation on the rivers and lakes in the state of Ohio. And they've just become very popular for kayakers, for paddleboarders, uh, providing some truly great views and, and wonderful ways to experience the outdoors. So one thing on the list of water trails that caught my attention is in Dayton. Can you tell me more about surfing the river in Dayton? Sure. So this is a little different. Uh, in Dayton, Ohio, you have uh, right on the Great Miami Riverway, uh, an option provided by the Dayton Surf Company. And they can actually teach you how to surf in the currents of the Great Miami River in Dayton, Ohio. I, I swear there's a T-shirt out there somewhere that says Surf Ohio. And I always <laughs> thought it was a joke, but apparently it's for real now. That's for No, me. it is. It is for real. Yeah, they you can surf or paddleboard. Uh, anyone's welcome to go out and do it. But the, that particular shop, the, the Dayton Surf Company, actually provides lessons, uh, clinics and rentals to go surf in Ohio. If you're not quite ready to hang 10, there's still opportunities to get out onto the waterways. Kayaking and paddleboarding have become extremely popular. I know in Columbus, uh, you see paddleboarders and kayakers on the river all the time near downtown. And Columbus is not alone in that. Right, Matt? 
No, it's popular all across the state, uh, kayaking, paddleboarding. So Ohio's 17 water trails are really some of the best places to go out and experience kayaking and paddleboarding in the state. Uh, the Great Miami River is a wonderful place. It's one of those water trails. It has nearly 300 miles of splashing good fun. Uh, also, one of the newer water trails is the Cuyahoga River Water Trail, uh, 14 miles long. It's split into five segments. Incredible for kayaking, but also paddleboarding. And uh, you can do it right there in what's become a very uh, clean and wonderful river to enjoy, the Cuyahoga River near Cleveland. Recently, USA Today recognized the oh, Cuyahoga River in Cleveland as a top kayaking spot in an urban area. So it's definitely not just here in Ohio that we're proud of that. This- it's one of those things where Ohio continues to get more and more regional and national recognition for what we have to offer. And that includes all our outdoor the beauty, scenic routes, water trails, hiking trails, and more. One unique uh, item on the list of water opportunities in the Buckeye State is near Troy, Ohio, north of Dayton, and that is Float Troy. This is something I never thought I'd hear about, and uh, you actually can spend the night on the river, right? You can. And Kate, I've done this with my daughters and it's one of those unforgettable experiences. Uh, You go to Float Troy. They have about 10 tents that are floating tents. You get in your kayak, you paddle out to them with your sleeping bag and your pillows. uh, And you literally sleep on the river with the views of downtown Troy in sight. Um, That experience just and the kayak is there for you to be able to use and paddle around and enjoy the river all during the day. And then to literally sleep on the river at night is uh, truly one of a kind and one that my daughters and I really enjoyed. What a great family experience to sleep out overnight, not just under the stars, but on the water. That sounds pretty cool. (laughs) Under the stars, on the water and with views of downtown Troy in sight. It's really great setup. It sounds pretty cool. Um, We can't leave out another important part of water sports, and that is fishing. It's getting to be time that the fisher people, as we should say, are are pretty busy out there. And one of the best places to to, to fish for walleye is right here in Ohio on Lake Erie, right? It is. And uh, you want to get your fishing license. Uh, I get mine every year. Uh, And then you can think of Ohio's waterways. Um, lots of bass fishing across our rivers and even in Lake Erie. But what we've become really well known for is the walleye capital world up there in the Port Clinton area along Lake Erie. Uh, The walleye fishing has become incredible. Kate, there are actually over 80 million walleye estimated to be in Lake Erie. Think about that. There's about 11 million people in the state of Ohio. There's 80 million walleye in Lake Erie. I like your chances of catching one. Sounds like a great dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And some trophy-level fish, some truly large walleye as well. Um, many people go up there not only to catch for a great dinner, but also for that that trophy walleye. From the fins to the feathers, let's talk about bird watching in Ohio. In the springtime, Ohio is a top destination for those who enjoy bird watching, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. The area, again, along Lake Erie has become uh, really well known for its bird watching in this spring time frame, that April-May time frame. Uh, a large reason is that many migrating birds gather on this side of Lake Erie and stay there to uh, really get their nutrition before flying across the lake. Uh, one of those particular birds is a warbler. Now, those that are into bird watching, they love seeing warblers. They're a prize bird because they come in these incredible colors of yellow. There are blue warblers, orange warblers as well. And then also they're a very vocal bird. They have a, a, a beautiful sound to them. Uh, So people are literally coming from all across the United States 
this time of year to the coast of Lake Erie to see the migrating birds, especially the warblers. And in Oak Harbor in early May, there will be a week-long birding festival. Yeah, and when I say people are coming from all over, it's really uh, even international that people come for that biggest week in American birding. Uh, May 5th through 14th this year in Oak Harbor along Lake Erie, uh, you will see lots of people with big cameras getting uh, incredible um, pictures of some truly prized birds in the bird watching world. Matt McLaren with Tourism Ohio. Is there anything we haven't touched on when talking about Ohio's trails and waterways today? Yeah, I'm going to add one more on the bird watching side. Uh, bald eagles are now popular in the state of Ohio again. Uh, one of the, the birds that I enjoy seeking out are bald eagles. And you can find nests in places like McGee Marsh uh, State Park up along Lake Erie and actually in more and more places across the state. So Matt McLaren is the director of Tourism Ohio, and you are just a wealth of information for us. And there is no excuse for any of us to not get out and enjoy the great outdoors in Ohio. Matt, where can we get more information about all the things we discussed, plus a lot more? Yeah, right now you can find over a thousand things to do, including all these incredible outdoor activities at Ohio.org. Thanks again, Matt. This this has been great talking to you. Great. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Today on Face the State, trouble on the tracks. It's been two months since the East Palestine derailment. There were new concerns about health, the long-term impact on the town, and who's holding who accountable. We have to do things to make our trains safer. We just want them to stop making it so political. These are people's lives. (laughs) These are children. (laughs) That stuff is there and it's bad. What's being done to right the situation and the concerns today about the next group of people to be impacted. Abolishing the death penalty, we present the arguments for and against, and what must happen before anything is decided. And, well, it's almost election day. What makes this primary so different than other elections? Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We begin this Sunday, two months since a Norfolk Southern train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, igniting not only a massive fire and chemical release, but a political battle over safety along the tracks. While the investigation into the cause of the crash is still underway, there is growing concern about the effects the toxic chemicals are having on the people who live nearby and the future of the East Palestine community. The derailment also exposed gaps in railroad safety regulations and the need to train for these types of emergencies. This morning, we're exploring the fallout of the crash and the fight to hold the railroad accountable. First, let's explore where we are today. Let's start with the derailment. Nearly 50 cars derailed in the small town on Friday, February 3rd, while heading to Conway, Pennsylvania. An immediate evacuation order followed. The next day, the mayor declared a state of emergency. Air quality was being monitored throughout a one-mile zone. Two days later, Governor Mike DeWine issues an urgent evacuation notice to anyone who had not yet left. After concerns of a potential explosion following the train derailment, officials conducted a controlled release of the chemicals, 
one being vinyl chloride. On February 8th, Governor Mike DeWine lifts the evacuation order. Ten days after the train derailment, NTSB points to wheel bearing failure as the suspected cause of the crash. On February 15th, the first town hall meeting was held. Norfolk Southern wasn't there. After nearly two weeks, DeWine requests federal help asking CDC medical experts to move in. On February 21st, the EPA administrator goes door to door in East Palestine and made a list of demands to Norfolk Southern. The sense of comfort that comes with living in a community like East Palestine has been shattered. Two days later, U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg visits East Palestine. Also, the NTSB releases a preliminary report of the crash, calling it 100 percent preventable. We call things accidents. There is no accident. Erin Brockovich arrived in East Palestine and called for more answers after the train derailment. She held a town hall with residents to address their fears and frustrations. One week later, a second Norfolk Southern train derails in Springfield, Ohio. The railway company said there were no hazardous materials on board the train and there were no reported injuries. Norfolk Southern announced a six-point plan to improve safety, a blueprint the rail company issued after its second train derailment. Three days later, on March 9th, the Norfolk Southern CEO testifies in Congress, vowing to make it right in East Palestine. We're going to be there for as long as it takes to help East Palestine thrive and recover. But that cleanup has been stalled after several states refused to take the waste from the East Palestine derailment. Finally, on March 14th, the Ohio Attorney General sues Norfolk Southern to pay for cleanup costs and environmental damage. This was an epic disaster, uh, and the cleanup uh, is going to be expensive, and it's going to take some significant dollars to put the people of East Palestine back as close as possible to the position they were before February 3rd. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine says the disaster has revealed that railroad companies have work to do, including better training at no cost to the community for local fire departments, especially because he says about 90 percent of them in our state are volunteer fire departments. The governor's made multiple visits to East Palestine, and Governor DeWine told me in a sit-down interview that it's part of an effort to ensure residents that they are not alone in dealing with the recovery from the derailment. We're going to officially open uh, a new clinic uh, in East Palestine. We're working with a local hospital there. And the idea is this will be permanent. This is not just, you know, for six months or, or a year. And I think it's going to do a couple of things. One, it's going to give people an assurance that there is a real medical presence in the community. What people tell me, even if they don't have any symptoms now, they tell me, look, I'm worried about where I'm going to be in a year, five years, 10 years. And so giving them a baseline when they go in now and then that continuity of care where they have a a medical home is very, very important. The only hiccup that really has occurred in getting that dirt out of there, that soil out of there. And what they did is they went in right where they removed the tracks and took that down, really down to the clay, and then piled it up. But the only real hiccup has been that for a while we had states 
that were saying, oh, we don't want it here. And the irony is that they were already taking stuff a lot worse than what we were sending them. And we were taking it in Ohio. It's not like we were not taking it. The, the, the bottom line is when you deal with material like this that might be dangerous, there are specific places that are licensed by the federal government, by the U.S. EPA, that can take them. I talked to um, State Senator Ruley a couple weeks ago, and he was uh, remarking on how um, he feels that this has been a very bipartisan effort um, to help. And I wondered about your thoughts on that and the kind of cooperation, um, so to speak, you're getting from the Biden administration. Yeah, look, I think we're getting good cooperation. I think everybody is on the same page now. Uh, frankly, when I went over there right after, shortly after it happened and decisions had to be made, uh, I think the railroad, candidly, uh, Norfolk Southern, w- was not communicating very well with us. And that was an initial problem. I think they are now. I think we've gotten over that. As far as the Biden administration, look, they had U.S. EPA. U.S. EPA was there within two hours after the crash. Uh, our uh, Ohio EPA was there, you know, shortly after that. So we've been in there. We've been working with them. Are there glitches? Sure. But overall, uh, it's been a, a bipartisan, nonpartisan, however you want to describe it. And everybody kind of gets it. We got to take care of this community. We got to help them. And we got to look to the future for for that community because this community needs to thrive. What are some things that people in other parts of the state can learn from this in terms of what's coming through their communities? We have to do things to make our trains safer, particularly those those trains that are carrying this toxic material. Mm -hmm. And there are two bills in the United States Congress. Uh, I think both are good bills. Uh, I think we will. I'm optimistic. I think we'll end up with a bill uh, that makes some real changes. You know, one of the changes we've talked about is every so many miles there is something that they have in the tracks that is reading what the temperature is of that train. Well, they've got to be closer together. Also, the protocol that the train company uses needs to be uniform between the different train companies. And frankly, it needs needs to be set by the government, in my opinion. You know, once the, once the temperature hits this point, mm-hmm. you need to shut the train down. So these are things that I think the average Ohioan, the average American never thought about until we saw this massive wreck. And then you kind of dissect it and figure out, okay, what went wrong? And what do we do in the future to to change that? So the bottom line is our trains can be a lot safer than they are today. Next, we need to make sure that the information about what is in that train is available uh, to the local first responders. We had over 300 first responders respond to this train. They did not know what was in that train. They did not know what was burning. That's a problem. In addition to training, lawmakers are hoping to add some new rules in the aftermath of a derailment. While the state only has so much power to regulate railroads, as we've reported, local officials are trying to come up with some creative solutions to prevent a repeat of this disaster. However, the true power lies with Congress. There are two separate bills making their way through the House and the Senate. They're mostly the same. However, the House bill doesn't require a two-person crew like Senators J.D. Vance and Sherrod Brown have proposed. Proposed requirements would also include more detectors that watch for that overheating on the train axles. There's also funding for training first responders on hazardous materials and research for constructing safer rail cars that transport those materials. Here are the senators on their bill. Sherrod Brown. 
I, I've talked to the president. I've talked to the majority leader in the Senate. They want it as fast as possible. Uh, Senator Vance and I are rounding up Republican votes. We have every Democratic vote. I'm hoping by, you know, by early summer, this is to the president's desk. J.D. Vance. We cannot allow Norfolk Southern to contaminate the soil in East Palestine without cleaning it up. So, uh, look, all this stuff is happening slower than I would like it to happen. That's why people like me have to stay on top of the relevant authorities, the companies, to make sure that people aren't being left behind. Members of the U.S. House held a hearing drilling experts about the environmental response in East Palestine. Here were the major concerns. First, the slow efforts to clean up the toxic soil from the crash site. While some of it has been cleaned up, some still remains. Lawmakers also pressed the members of the EPA about weekly testing being done with the water and the soil. They say still no toxic levels have been found in either the soil or the water. Residents of the greater East Palestine community are not alone. EPA will continue to be with them for as long as it takes to ensure their health and safety. Working within the Unified Command, EPA has more than 80 personnel on site. Lawmakers also expressed concerns about why the company uh, behind the derailment, Norfolk Southern, wasn't invited to the hearing. Representative Bill Johnson, who you see there, also noted there will be a time to address railroad safety. He asked Congress to consider bipartisan rail safety legislation he introduced to help keep what happened in East Palestine from happening again. The EPA identified five chemicals at the derailment site. First, the most talked about is vinyl chloride. It is a known carcinogen, a colorless and flammable gas that is used to produce PVC products. Scientists have also found butyl acrylate, which is described as a strong-smelling liquid used to make plastics, polymers, and resins, and then isobutylene, another gas that is used to make plastics. Finally, ethylene glycol and ethylhexyl acrylate Liquids also used to make different plastics, paints, and even antifreeze. All of the chemicals can irritate the skin and the eyes, as well as cause a sore throat and nausea. The long-term impact of the spill will in part depend on the efficiency and effectiveness of the cleanup. It's estimated to take three months to complete. Crews are digging out that contaminated soil and removing pollutants from the water. There's also a massive operation to remove the soil from the site, and then dispose of it in areas around the country. Some 23,000 tons remain. Attorney General Dave Yost says Norfolk Southern has committed to hiring Ohio companies and Ohio workers to do all future repairs in East Palestine. He did ask the company if they would commit to hiring Ohioans to do the work, and they agreed. Yost says this agreement has no bearing on the lawsuit he has filed against the company. The money they're spending right now is money that they're ordered to do by the administrative uh, order. Our lawsuit involves things that are longer term and, um, frankly, uh, damages to the environment, damages to the economy that won't even be tallied up uh, for another year or two or even longer. Norfolk Southern CEO and President Alan Shaw issued a statement saying, in part, recover and thrive. We look forward to supporting local businesses. So we'll have more on that. We'll be following that through the next few weeks. Regardless of the cleanup effort that's underway, it's still unknown what the people who live in the town will experience in the years to come. 
We have not yet learned the level of exposure or the future impact that those chemicals will have on their health. Scientists say they simply don't know what happens to people who are exposed to this kind of combination of chemicals. The state does have a health office set up for residents to get treatment. The governor announced last week it would remain open indefinitely. Still, in this tight-knit town, there is some skepticism about what they're hearing. I just don't trust um, their results. We're all ending up sick, and they're telling us it's safe, and everything's at a safe level. Then why are we all sick? We want to keep this in the forefront of the news because they still don't have independent testing. And I believe that that's what we need. When authorities conducted a controlled burn, it was like a bomb went off. A bomb containing vinyl chloride, which releases dangerous chemicals. When burned, these chemicals never go away. Chemicals such as dioxins, which are not safe at any level and cause damage that may not show up for years. Two days later, our government told us it was safe to come home. But is it safe? There is also a push to establish a fund to take care of the needs of more than 300 first responders who went to that crash site. The heat and the chemicals from that fire ruined many of the firefighters' gear. And while some wore breathing masks to protect themselves from the fumes, others didn't have or didn't know they needed them to protect their lungs. In the next two weeks, the health department is preparing to offer testing and exams to those folks. The state says it's just the start in what's going to be a long-term effort to monitor the health of the emergency responders who rushed to East Palestine. Already, some 200 have signed up for that testing. There is much more we can expect in the coming months. We've dedicated time to covering the aftermath of the derailment right here on Face the State. We will continue to do that. There is much more ahead this Sunday morning, including the alarming rates of colon cancer among young people. Also ahead, the First Lady makes a visit to our state. What she plans to do for members and families in the Air Force. And there's a new push to kill the death penalty in Ohio, but does it have enough support to pass? The arguments happening at the State House and the growing support this morning. And younger cops on the streets, police age limits could be dropped. The mayor on that proposal, can it help with fighting crime and filling the ranks? Plus, the other big bills making their way through the State House when Face the State returns. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back. First Lady Jill Biden was in Ohio as part of her Joining Forces initiative. Dr. Biden made a stop at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Greene County, Ohio. She met with military families and toured a local elementary school supporting military-connected children. She is touting a local Purple Star elementary school that supports military-connected kids, and she also hosted a session with military parents highlighting the president's investments toward military and veteran families, caregivers, and survivors in his fiscal year 2024. More people are at risk for colorectal cancer, including younger people. We're talking Gen X, Y, and Z. Researchers say the reasons range from sedentary lifestyles, more time commuting, 
and working at desks in front of computers and diets that include too much red meat and processed food and not enough fiber. The American Cancer Society just released a study showing that about 20,000 people in the U.S. under the age of 50 will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer this year. Estimates show that more than 3,700 young adults will die. We give you medications to your IV that get you very sleepy and comfortable. Far and wide, my patients say they don't even remember the procedure. And it's great. After, and I always say that when you do the colonoscopy, you find no polyps. We say, all right, we'll see you in 10 years. But I would say just as great is if we do the colonoscopy, we find some polyps, remove them before they have the chance to potentially become cancer down the line. We just came out of colorectal cancer awareness month in March, but it's important to know the early symptoms, including blood in your stool, a change in bowel habits, weight loss for no known reason. All of those things you need to know that year round. Talk with your doctor about screening. Age 45 is the age, but knowing your family history is important because you may in fact need to get screened earlier. All right. Are 18 year olds mature enough to be police officers? The pushback on some proposed legislation related to that. We must end this injustice, unjust practice as soon as we can. And the bipartisan push to abolish the death penalty, why supporters believe this is the time to do it. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation. And it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Ohio lawmakers from both sides of the aisle are trying to end the death penalty in our state. A bipartisan group of senators introduced legislation. They say because of recent exonerations and changing beliefs, they believe there is a good chance it will pass. We must end this injustice and just practice as soon as we can. Life is sacred, like my colleague said. And the death penalty fails to treat human lives as such. I I believe that uh, uh, as a devout Catholic, um, the death penalty is wrong based on there should be one being that decides if you live or die, and that's the Lord, and it's not a judge. But there is opposition to the bill. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost told 10TV, Ohio's death penalty is a broken promise of justice, and it must be fixed. This discussion has been a long time coming, so let's have it now. If Ohio chooses to end capital punishment, let it own the decision in the full light of day. I will stand on the other side with the families of the slain. 
Again, that is from a statement from Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. Governor DeWine previously issued a moratorium on executions in January of 2019. There hasn't been an execution in the state since 2018. Yes, we are already coming up on the primary election this year. We'll talk about that. State Senate considering a bill addressing the challenges of recruiting police officers. Now, this bill would lower the minimum age from 21 to 18, and it's designed to help with hiring officers for the large number of vacancies within many departments. Several reports addressing the issue of young officers show there is some support. One office in Pataskala says, one officer rather in Pataskala says he knew he wanted to be in law enforcement, and this just helped him get there sooner. There are, though, concerns about the maturity of 18-year-olds and whether they're ready for this job. Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther had this to say in a recent interview. You know, I'm, I'm torn. Uh, I'm interested in the conversation. I do believe that, uh, you know, with a certain amount of age comes a certain level of maturity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think about the difference between an 18-year-old, a 21-year-old, a 25-year-old. I mean, we give officers incredible power. Mayors, governors, and presidents do not have the power to stop somebody, to question somebody, to take away their freedom, and ultimately take away their life. That's a huge amount of power. Last week's full interview with the mayor is on our digital streaming channel, 10TV+. You can hear Mayor Ginther's plan to tackle crime in Columbus and why he says he believes a new hire will make a difference. You can search for last week's show. Finally this morning... Decision 2023. We are already coming up on the primary election this year. We are looking at that and we want to make sure that you know the primary is going to be different for one main reason. This week, new voter ID requirements took effect in our state. Voters must have a state-issued photo ID and no longer have the option of using a bank statement or even bills as proof of address. The change has been criticized for its impact on low-income Ohioans. 938,000 voting age Ohioans lack a driver's license or state ID. Imposing extra costs like these on the voting process inevitably impacts marginalized voters the most. The driver's license costs, on average, $37.63. If you think about that, that's four hours worth of work at the average state minimum wage. Getting your birth certificate online, which Ohio must, Secretary which of State Frank LaRose says a poll taken in 2021 shows a majority of Americans support photo ID requirements to ensure fair elections. If you're voting by absentee ballot, you must request it by April 25th. The primary is set for May 2nd. So you have a lot of work to do if you plan to vote. We thank you for being here with us on Face the State today, and we wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Tracy with a look at what you can see this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Good morning, everyone. I'm Tracy Townsend coming up on Face the State. You'll learn about the lawmaker whose claims about his college education are now in question. Why the push to end distracted driving is now resonating with business leaders and the business community and making your voice heard. Early voting is underway in our state. I'm talking with Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and he also talks about early voting allows you to cheat on the test. 
Join us for Face the State at 1130 on 10TV. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. Visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Stephen Shields, who is a financial advisor for Edward Jones in Medina. How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Edward Jones is mammoth, thousands of offices across the country, right? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. Edward Jones has approximately 17,000 branches across the United States, so we are in most local communities and cities to provide some personalized service for all of our partners that we work with. And it seems like these days, uh, folks not doing so well in terms of their financial planning. A lot of people still seems like they're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, we recently conducted a study along with uh, Edward Jones and Morning Consult. And what we gathered from that was quite shocking that about nine and ten Americans really viewed financial wellness as being extremely important, but nearly half of those felt they don't feel financially stable, and that brings a lot of anxiety and stress. And one of the things that really stood out was nearly one-third have less than $500 in their emergency savings fund right now. Yeah, that's not a good position to be in because you're just, you know, one significant car repair away from wiping that out. These days, you know, the last three years really have been so volatile that this is just not a good place to be in. Yes, there is a a lot of uncertainties that can help make things uncomfortable for people. And and so that's why when we work with individuals or families uh, and most professionals will recommend having three to six months of those living expenses saved to cover those emergencies, having a clear understanding of your kind of financial situation and a a financial roadmap can help prevent putting us back into situations that do make us uncomfortable and bring on that anxiety and stress that comes along with finances in the household. Many individuals and American families worry about being able to pay month-to-month expenses, food for their kids, make sure their family has the things that they need, and that's something that we we take to heart when we have an opportunity to give people more education about. So when people hear, you know, that they should have three to six months of emergency funds in their account and they think, well, that's just impossible. There's no way I can do that. What are the types of things that you go over with people to help them achieve that goal? Yeah, one thing we found during that study is that uh, about 79% of those who actually worked with a financial advisor had $1,000 or more. So being intentional about that savings certainly can help, but we found some clear tips to help get a better understanding of personal financial situations. So starting with a budget, having a better understanding of what money is going out of our household, and then having some clear conversation about what is a necessity compared to discretionary spending. And you think about in today's world where it becomes so easy to turn on a subscription or have something on auto renewal or a streaming service that maybe we forgot or didn't pay much attention that we're still paying for that. And look for little things. 
Talking with Stephen Shields, a financial advisor for Edward Jones and Medina. One thing that, that I've always thought of is I know a lot of people who get huge tax refunds every year. And if they made some sort of an adjustment on their W-2 so that they were receiving more of that money in their paycheck, which especially now with the interest rates on at least online savings accounts being 4% or higher, you could put that money into a savings account and get 4% interest on it. We always want to focus on being creative with ways that we're saving money. Tax returns certainly um, can, can be a part of that. Or work bonuses. You know, you can work with your your tax advisor or CPA as well as trying to make sure you're managing those things. But anytime we have an opportunity to increase a savings or get an, an additional income, we want to be able to have a plan set up in place to be intentional about saving that money. And you can work with a financial advisor to find out where a good place to be saving that money is. And ultimately, as, as we pay down debt, we, we want to transition our money to start working for us in some ways. Uh, you're absolutely right. What about the folks that you deal with? Is there a lot of uh, anxiety these days with the situation with banking? And, uh, you know, there's still this sort of eminent feeling that something bad is going to happen with a stock market, even though uh, it's been hanging in there for the last few months? Absolutely. Anytime there's news, um, especially re- recently, that you know that is something as, as a firm and team that we're going to pay really close attention to and monitor very closely. And we want to use that as a reminder that these tough and difficult situations that we find ourselves in, or the anxiety or the stress of uh, conditions that may be things that we cannot control is all the more reason that we need to have an emphasis on having an emergency savings, why we understand our financial situation, how we can improve that, because when there's uncertain economic times, we, we certainly don't want to make additional stresses on the family or the household. So being proactive is one of the best ways to avoid being reactive to those things that might be on the outside. Stephen, if folks want more information about common sense uh, ways to save money or if they need uh, more advice about investing, what would you suggest? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So you go to edwardjones.com or edwardjones.com slash financial wellness. We like to put out a lot of information, educational pieces about ways to save and opportunities with what's going on in financial markets and rates. So you can get a lot of that information there. You can also locate a local financial advisor from Edward Jones in your community, maybe set up a phone call, have some of those first conversations of putting together a roadmap for your financial success. Stephen Shields, financial advisor, Edward Jones in Medina. Thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. 
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.